<laughs> thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, Josh. Um, you and I have actually been in touch in the past through, I want to say we, you DM'd me on Twitter at one point okay. about about doing doing a, a video intro for Sim Staff. Ah, did I slide in your DMs? Did I? I slide in a lot of people's DMs these you days. Did. That's the you business, did. Right? <laughs> um, conveniently, uh, I think Tom. I think you mentioned something when I made the last one, and and then then the DM was sent, and yeah. then we we lost contact after a while, and now you're be- you're on the podcast. So welcome, sir. We appreciate you. Well, being I'll here. start by saying apologies for not following up. There you go. Hey, it's it's okay. It's, I have a little bit of work to do with this. Uh, you know, they're they're real rough on our time. This grid finder company. You know, they want all these things Ugh. made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's um it's awesome to be here i'm a big fan of the the podcast and obviously tom been well we've known each other for a while and it'd be yeah. awesome to see what you guys are kind of building so hopefully a nice chilled out chat and, and see what goes on yeah that that's still yeah. tom i don't know if you get surprised by it still but when anyone says oh i'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast i'm like people listen what <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did like we had somebody open a bug ticket today uh, on Gridfinder, and I was chatting away to them, and then they were like, "Oh, and by the way, I love the podcast. I'm in Australia." And I was like, "What? Wow. <laughs> that, that, that what? That's nuts. That's like you see it on the stats. You can, you know, we can see our stats of where people are, and we know that like four or five percent of people are in Australia, but they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> they not just a tick exist. mark on, on a little graph. <laughs> oh my god, oh, that's so nuts. cool. Anyway, um. I'm, I'm kind of glad that we started the podcast like this, um, Chris, you saying, uh, Josh, sliding into your your DMs about some work, because I think, Josh, it's probably fair to say that you are a super networker. <laughs> you <laughs> are everywhere. Like, I, I have never seen anybody quite so active on LinkedIn, uh, expos, conferences, like you, you kind of dive into absolutely everything that's available in the sim racing esports world, which I think is is fantastic because I think it really shows that you genuinely kind of like what you're doing, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, is that fair to say? Is that a fair representation? The super networker. I mean, it's, it's a very kind compliment. I think um, as he's I mean, changing you guys his probably seen profile like job description. <laughs> super networker. <laughs> I think it's one of those things, right? Like the, the space is growing so quickly, particularly recently, and you know we could all talk about you know the, the pandemic wave and that kind of stuff, but. Um, now that kind of doors are opening again and people are getting out and about, I just think it's so much better for, for kind of networking. And the same reason that I listen to the podcast, right. is because when you're traveling to and from these events, it's a great opportunity to get insight into how people kind of operate and see a different side to someone who's not on the screen, basically. So yeah, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) wow. Chris. Josh is using us for freaking market market research. research. (laughs) Oh my God. We just talk utter nonsense most of the time. This is crazy. We need to put a little disclaimer that we should not be responsible for any of the like (laughs) facts that we we discussed during this podcast. Um, So Josh, you are, you are kind of intrinsically involved in nearly every element of sim racing that I've ever seen. Anywhere I've been, anything I've done, whether it's the expo, it's an event, it's even like a, a, a broader a gaming event. We saw each other at Insomnia yeah. just a couple of weeks ago. You are there, right? Tell us the journey. Like, How did this, this start? Obviously, I, I kind of know a little bit about your background, but for our audience, tell us how you got into the sim racing world. But, but right from the beginning, like when you left school, what did you do? Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been in sim racing probably for like five or six years now. I, I started off racing. Um, 
I call it professionally. I, I by no means, you know, the fastest guy out there, but um, played like the F1 games on console, like a lot of people did and fired off an email to Frostmaster, Fanatec and Logitech all on the same day saying, hey, I want to take this a bit more seriously. Can you send me some kit and we can see what we can do? Um, Frostmaster came back. The other just left me on red, but um, yeah. as the story kind of went. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the journey kind of grew from there, started competing a little bit on a set of Corsa. Um, and then moved into the event space after kind of graduating from university, just, you know, seeing what Sims were kind of doing actually at live events. Pandemic came in, um, so then joined David uh, to help launch SimGrids and coach Dave Academy. And then uh, around like as things kind of opened back up again, moved back to kind of freelancing and built Sim staff off the back of that. So, yeah, I think you're probably fair. I've done a little bit of everything, but um, just part of it, trying to find my feet and see what I like. And the other part, just because this space is so small, you can kind of bounce between a lot of areas, right? Mm-hmm. yeah and it's um this is something that i really kind of want to nerd out on so so chris indulge me okay so <laughs> so josh has josh has followed a, a really interesting path and that's the path of starting your own thing a startup the startup life right so you've you've gone away from the uh regular income um pay slips to right i'm, I'm now going to put my own food on the table mm-hmm. and it's a huge risk and it's scary and blah blah blah, blah. and i'd love to get into into all that um but something that I've that I want to discuss first is that I've noticed that in sim racing, it seems to be quite not common, but it's perhaps more common than in other areas. So if you if you think of your average sim racer, I, I would say that there is a higher percentage of sim racers who go on to stream or mm-hmm. to try and get like a, they kind of explore um, affiliate codes or, you know, they'll join like a proper team. And so they kind of take it. Seriously, not everyone goes full time, of mm. course, but a lot of sim racers seem to have that mindset of of creating something for themselves and, you know, to, to kind of build communities. Is that something you've seen? Do you think that resonates with you? I think that's a really interesting observation. And to answer, I guess I kind of put the question back to you, which is like, I don't know if people do that because either A, they have a real passion for what they're doing or B, because they're trying to almost like chase that path to real motorsport. And these are all kind of the building blocks along the way of like, raising your profile, raising additional revenue to go racing. I think if you kind of follow that ladder up to the top guys, people like James Baldwin, mm-hmm. you know, Jardier, those kind of guys, they try to make the jump. So I don't know. I mean, what's your thoughts on the matter? It's an interesting one. That's that's an interesting theory, actually. I hadn't really considered that perhaps people looking to create income through sim racing is a symptom of sim racing being a common springboard into motorsport, yeah. which, is, which is what I think you're saying. Um, I, I'd actually kind of seen it more of a um sim sim racing has many like facets there's lots to it there's a whole ecosystem around it uh, as you know so you know we're talking league management we're talking engineers coaches livery designers there's a lot of skills that you can pick up just from being within one of these communities and then you kind of start dabbling in little bits here and there and then we notice people who are like oh i just did my first livery guys what do you think and then six months later in our discord we'll see them say right i'm now open for commissions and i've done this website and blah, blah, you know and they've kind of they've kind of gone for it which i think I, I absolutely love it it's one of my favorite parts about the sim racing community is that lots of people are that passionate about it that they're they're looking for ways mm. of making their passion their 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 full-time job and, and that's exactly what you did right you kind of you you entered the sim racing world through a a more traditional path in in the sense that it was a it was a job as you know i assume it was a full-time job uh, with a salary etc but then at some point you decided you know what i want to do my own thing so it would be great to kind of understand your mindset like what what were your considerations leading up to 
that that jump because let's be fair it's scary right yeah 100 i think this is yeah really where we're going to probably geek out a bit tom but I, you know it was kind of twofold obviously uh, you know global factors kind of contributed to it you know i wasn't gonna be able to go out on events anyway because there was nothing going on um but the other part is you know being someone who was okay at kind of sim racing and, and driving and stuff it was like either you can be part of the show or you can be part of making the show um so for me that was kind of like the big thing of like you know, I guess the whole reason I started Sim Staff because you go to a live event and the people running the Sim in the vast majority of cases are just events companies who have simulators. And I feel that's different mm. to a Sim company running simulators at an event, if that oh, makes yeah. sense. Um, so, you know, yeah. when you kind of take that mentality to it, it's like, let's just do things properly. And in the same way, you guys have developed a great ecosystem for hosting leagues and for broadcasters and, you know, livery creators to kind of have their platform. I'm trying to do the same in the event space so that people can trust what they're seeing when they turn up to event, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Like You very clearly highlighted there the problem that you're mm. trying to solve. I suppose what I'm more interested in is like, what were your personal considerations? As in, you know, you've got bills to pay and, you know, <laughs> you, you start a startup, you, you've got no guaranteed income for a little while. Mm. So how did, was it a side hustle first and, and then it became a full-time thing? Or, you know, have you raised uh investment or savings like just because I, I imagine given the assumption i made earlier on in the show that a lot of people in sim racing do go on to start their own mm. things a lot of people will be interested in how have you made it and by made it i mean how are you now supporting yourself full time i'm not talking about the the, the money you're making through contracts I'm, I'm just i'm just really curious to see how you justified the risk in your mind when you went from safe job to startup it's, it's such a great question to be honest it's not something i've ever sat down and, and thought about so this is getting <laughs> getting philosophically deep quite fast but um <laughs> yeah it, it's what an interesting do. one i think um you know i, I was very lucky obviously i, I was working with with, with david at the sim uh coach dave academy and you know with frostmaster i've got sort of benefits and perks of the contract there if you like um and I, I was loving what i was doing but for me personally it was like there was always there's something about live events that really excite me you know we've obviously bumped into each other a lot tom whether you guys are doing podcast episodes or team events whatever it is um and i just felt like that's the direction i want to go and i guess in the same way when you set up grid finder if nobody else has kind of built that path you kind of have to carve it yourself um so i gave myself 12 months to kind of see how we'd grow and uh fortunately we've come out the other side going quite strong and uh yeah i don't know I just, it's a really interesting concept i mean what what was it for you with, with grid finder obviously that was a huge leap as well right yeah i mean it was it, uh yeah i mean this is the story is kind of nuts every time i kind of tell it and i'll do it briefly because this is a podcast about you and not us but um uh, maybe we should do a, a grid finder that could be like our, our, our christmas right, episode that's... this year we did a grid finder christmas yeah, show last yeah. year so we could just do that again that's a good point <laughs> yeah so yeah so so very briefly uh i was um transitioning from one career to another and neither of them were anything to do with sim racing i'd been in the military for 10 years driving warships and i was converting my warship driving license as another name but just you know, <laughs> it's a, essentially a, a warship driving license to a civilian ship driving license to go and do super yachts mm. covid hit i'd been a huge um I wouldn't say sim racing fan. I think that would be unfair. That would be dishonest. I was an online racing game fan for about 10 years. So in 2011, during basic training, uh, towards the end when it got a little bit lighter, we had one rec room 
a PlayStation on one game and it was Formula One and I got hooked on it. Um, and then since then, I've just loved playing racing games. Anyway, the, the pandemic came around and I ended up getting stuck on an LNG tanker. This is a lot longer than I intended this to be. Uh, so I'm going to try and make this quicker. Um, I got stuck on an LNG, so a liquid natural gas carrier going between Qatar and the Mediterranean. It was meant to be six weeks. It ended up being four and a half months because no countries would let pe- seafarers off the boats because of COVID. Um, and I had a lot of time on my hands with like some fairly dodgy wi-fi but nothing to do um and i was looking into like formula one content because the the f1 drivers have started doing it and i saw this thing about sim racing so i ordered myself a load of secondhand stuff for when i got home and anyway it was it was it was at that point i realized that there was this problem with communities so we started i I started it just as a side hustle just as a a, not even a side hustle because it wasn't making any money it wasn't intended to make any money but we got all this natural traction chris came along was like this is a great idea like i want to be involved um so he joined and then very very long story short april last year uh we decided to to give this a proper go and we raised some some angel investment to support Mm -hmm. what the company's doing so that we can go out and build the platform that we're currently building so i guess for me it was a a very kind of natural progression because i had the time due to covid Mm. to see the traction kind of de-risk it in my mind um and see what the business model was but to be honest i didn't really know what business model was (laughs) at all and this is something that i'm going to throw back to you now because it's too much about (laughs) this is not meant to be a podcast about me but obviously i had no business background Mm. whatsoever so i didn't know how to do accounts like how do we hire people like you know marketing facebook ads google like nothing didn't you know wix took me a long time to work out which i know chris will laugh at um (laughs) um, so i i did a lot of reading so i I read a lot of um, books like the lean startup entrepreneur revolution the mum test blah 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 blah. listened to some podcasts um i felt that gave me quite a good grounding and i eventually went on a five-month accelerator course to kind of learn the basics of, of startups what have what have you done as you've gone through the sim staff journey, who have you turned to? Like what resources have you taken to kind of teach yourself how to create a business in sim racing? Yeah, so I think a lot of it, and it's the same whether it's for, you know, commentary, broadcasting, liveries, whatever. Um, You know, a lot of it's just kind of natural gut feeling, I guess, which I know is a bit of a cop-out answer, Mm -hmm. but the reality is, you know, at least with the event side of stuff, there's a very clear metric of whether an event goes well or not, usually indicated by the amount of people that take part. but prior to that, you know, I was really fortunate with, with David at Simgrid to have a great mentor in him. He's obviously got a huge background in, in business and, and startups. Um, he even provided me coaching services whilst I was there. And so then you take what I guess I kind of had the benefit of seeing a startup grow and learning from that what I wanted to kind of inject into mine. And then, of course, you know, you're right, Tom, you listen to podcasts, you read books, um, all this kind of stuff. But I think this really, like I said, at start speaks to whether you're a broadcaster or whatever, like the steps are still the same. Go out with the product that you think fits, get some feedback from the market and continue to then grow that product in line with your expectations. Um, And I think the important thing is just making sure you really enjoy it as well, you know, because if I didn't enjoy events, I probably wouldn't have continued with Sim staff. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure with the same with yourselves, you know, if you didn't organize, you know, enjoy organizing leagues and giving people that kind of accessibility and, and ease of use, then you probably wouldn't have done this either. So. It's it's really interesting actually hearing how it sounds like your your journey was I know this sounds like a really sorry like overused horrible web like if an organic journey <laughs> kind of as in it you just it kind of just like it just grew naturally yeah. and you kind of learn as you went on the job etc and you had that experience but actually like reflecting on my own experience one of the the um the best places to learn is is your own network yeah. it's speaking to people who have been there done it before and understand either 
the whole market that you're in or a specific thing you have a problem with at any particular time. Now, you as the super network, <laughs> as you, super yeah. networker that I declared earlier, <laughs> um, clearly you surround yourself with a lot of people who have been there, done it, either you know businesses in the space mm. or, or similar spaces. So do you think by being such a kind of prolific um, networker and, and connection maker, do you think that's helped you grow SimStaff, not just through connections to potential customers, mm -hmm. but also access to people that have been there, done it and got really good advice for you? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the, the, yourself, Tom's a great example. Like the, the problems that I'm trying to solve are probably slightly earlier in the food chain were the ones you're trying to solve. And what I mean by that is like, if you look at sim racing usage, there was a report came out late last year, and I think it said like 59% of sim usage is home users, and so 41% is public events. So you look at that and go, okay, so someone's got a sim at home, probably don't know how to race or where to race, I should say. Um, then they go to a public event and they see a sim and they're like, oh, I've got one at home, so I don't really want to take part. If we solve the problem of them finding a place to race competitively, to have fun with their friends, form a community, they're so much more likely to A, go to that event with their friends and B, then jump on the sim anyway and mm. race against other people. So by getting that kind of read off the ground, by networking with people like yourself and others, I think it, it benefits us both in an equal measure, really. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've got so much out of just going mm. to events, speaking to people face to face, people that you kind of keep in touch with throughout the year. Exactly. And then you have these events where everyone comes together and you get to discuss what's happened in the last year but face to face over a beard via sim rig etc and the the value is is enormous so let's talk about events then let's talk about the event landscape so we are now in the presence of the sim racing event expert okay <laughs> so let's get your take on the event landscape for sim racing like what what are the big names out there what are the must go to events and then afterwards i want to dive into like how you think the event space the physical event space generally is doing yeah for sure there's a lot of claims being thrown here which are very kind of you but i just need to make sure you know um but like, i think you know the, the sim racing event space is really interesting at the moment obviously we've got sro esports with the guys at ak esports running that f1 esports probably been the most recognizable to a lot of people um and then you have obviously formula e um which you guys obviously are involved with and uh v10r league from gfinity so I think the landscape at the moment is very much, if you're a top level sim racer, you're now getting the opportunity to go to LAN, obviously ESL as well, let's add to that list. Um, if you're starting out, it's pretty bare bones at the moment. It is really just online leagues and communities. Um, but I think we're seeing growth in the right direction. You know, it's trying to be focused more around like a community sport and a, what's the word, like a fan sport for people to watch. Uh, it's, it's in a really interesting landscape. I mean, what, what's your guys' opinion of, you know, how it's grown and, and where we're heading with it? Well, when it Chris, I'm conscious that I've no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> when it you. comes to streams, actually, uh, as you're mm -hmm. mentioning that, mentioning this, I'm remembering a couple Twitter threads that have happened recently. Where it's, do you as a sim racer actually watch sim racing? And there was an mm -hmm. overwhelming response, at least on some creators' uh, threads, where most people were saying. Why would I watch sim racing when I can just do sim racing? And that that kind of opened up my mind a little bit to what are we doing differently in sim racing than say Call of Duty or League of Legends or you know any pick any of the esports out there that exist and have millions of people watching at the same time. And one of the things that brings me to sim racing and why I kind of disagreed with a lot of these points of view when I was reading Twitter is it's part of the community. So when you when you jump into a sim racer stream or when you jump into ESLR1 or any of these streams, it almost feels more like you're paid attention to in sim racing 
then if you, for instance, I watch Call of Duty events and mm -hmm. you're just a blip on their radar. You could throw anything out there and talk and no one's saying anything to you. Like you're just ignored basically. But in the world of sim racing, I, I get that personal satisfaction of like, oh, I'm part of a community here. I'm, I'm actually paid attention to, which sounds like a, you know, pay attention to me, please. But you know what I mean? When you're watching and you're chatting, you want to at least be acknowledged. So mm -hmm. in your eyes, what do you think we could do to change the mindset a little bit? Because I, I don't understand where specifically in the sim racing world, people are saying, well, I would just rather do it than watch it. I'm like, well, I watch it when I'm at work. I'll just throw it on a screen and have it up. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one. So I went to the Apex Legends uh, Split One playoffs in in London, and mm -hmm. um, that was a super interesting experience for me. First time I'd been to anything that was sort of non sim racing as an event. Sure. And like listening to the crowd screaming for individual players as stuff was going on was like a completely foreign concept to me. It was like a football stadium. It was mental. Um, but to be honest, I kind of agree with a lot of those comments that you disagree with. Um, okay. I think we need to be doing something a little bit different. I think uh, people invest so much time into being sort of quick or good at sim racing that that's probably the reason that they want to then race rather than watch it. Um, sure. I think we need to be doing something a little bit different with like, whether that's, you know, the e-race of champions or like innovative event formats, something that makes people stop and go, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. I hadn't considered sim racing in this light. Um, and I think the other big part of it is we need to be targeting people who aren't already in the space. You know, something I've always said is if you look at airlines, for example, they're always about being like, you know, more renewable and, and better for the environment. And obviously one side of that is like, making faster planes, better planes, more fuel efficient. But the other part of it is like the in-flight experience. So if you're heading to a Grand Prix for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, for example, imagine you can be watching race reruns of F1 Esports, which is carbon neutral, you know, on the mm -hmm. way out to the Grand Prix, for example. I think we need to be doing something a little bit different to just grab people that isn't typical. Here's TV cams trying to mimic real life because then we'll always be in the shadow of that real motorsport. I think, gap, you, you, know, I think you just nailed it for me. And... Mm. I for, again, I'm a Twitter guy, so I, I see everything <laughs> that that I think of on Twitter. There was someone who's who said at one point that we need to stop trying to mimic real world world motorsport and start being our own thing. Yeah, mm. obviously, we're a lot of us are racing in the simulator because of a couple of reasons. My reason, I can't afford to get into racing, so I'm like, okay, sim racing is my thing. I can afford to buy this the kit for that, and. Ultimately, I don't ever see myself going, you know what, I I want to be in a car. I want to actually race. Sim racing is the line for me, and I'm perfectly fine with that. So we just we need something a little bit different than just mimicking real world motorsport. And like F1, for instance, when when you see <clears throat> any of the series out there that uh I guess try to be just like the normal broadcast. You're like, eh, well, eh. it's it's exactly. trying to be like the normal broadcast, but it's not quite up to like the level of the normal broadcast. So you kind of get this like underwhelmed. It's not really fulfilling the needs that I'm exactly. looking for. But if we were to do something a little more crazy or a little more interesting or a little more outside of the box, I think it would increase viewership a lot. I yeah, mean, and that, that comes back to what you're like what we were saying, right? It's the people who aren't in, already interested in sim racing and esports are going to love that. But I guess for the same reason, like the NFL has the halftime show and like all these analysis breakdowns is for the people who geek out on this stuff. Um, Tom, obviously, I know you have the, the Grid Finder team. I'm really curious, like um, you're just in Monza, right? The team are in Monza. So 
Yeah, yeah, we just got, we got biased. Yeah, so speaking to the um, <laughs> speaking to the team, right? What, I'm I'm really curious. Like, was the driving what excited them, or was it the experience of like traveling to Monza, competing as a team that was like, mm. what was the biggest, like, more exciting part for them? I guess. Now I can't speak for Tristan, yeah. but based on his reaction and the fact that we spoke about this at length, when he was kind of he was up, he was down, he was giddy, yeah. he was excited, he was nervous, he was terrified, <laughs> and then he was ecstatic with our result. It was a lot of emotions. Um, and I can honestly say that um, both the racing and the live um, element of it uh, contributed equally, I would say, to to the overall experience. And just for the listeners to give a bit of context, so SRO Esports Sim Pro Series. So they have the Pro Series and the Sim Pro. Oh, there's like six series. And I had to get my head around it before we start the podcast. In fact, I didn't. I asked Paul Jeffrey at the beginning. I was like, Paul Jeffrey, please explain to everyone, including me, what the hell is going on with SRO Esports, because there's six strands. And he did the most succinct, perfect way of introducing what was going on. Episode so to come out soon, right? When we right. were there, <laughs> yeah, literally in like two hours, it was very exciting. Um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, essentially at Monza, so physical actually in Italy, Monza. Um, and I know that you always have to kind of like drill that point in, because I don't mean like on the, on the sim in this case. Um, in the paddock, we had the Fanatec Esports Arena. In the Esports Arena, there were 24 sim rigs and they ran two series during the race weekend. So on the Saturday, they had the um, the the whole name of it, I think something like the Fanatec SRO Esports Pro Series. And that is nuts, right? So that is where the real world SRO teams put a driver, a real world driver into the rig for an esports race and they can win actual points for their team. So those points are worth money, like lots and lots of money. And so they spend a lot of um, time investing in their, their sim racer for that for that race. And then on the Sunday, we had the Fanatec SRO Esports Sim Pro Series. So Sim Pro Series. Now the Sim Pro Series is essentially the sim racing teams who are running a series completely separate to the, 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 uh, the usual real world SRO series. Um, and you had Lamborghini, I think, had two or three teams. Ferrari had two or three. Um, by team, sorry, I mean drivers. So Lamborghini had two or three drivers. Ferrari had two or three drivers. Mercedes had three drivers. Williams had a driver, but I think it was with Mercedes. And the Mercedes have one with Unicorns of Love. And then Into the Breach <laughs> was there. And anyway, BMW was there. So you had all of these huge brands. Um, right. And Gridfinder, we were the underdogs <laughs> by a long shot. We scored a point. 24 cars. We came 15th and scored a point. We were absolutely buzzing. It was like we just won the whole championship. It was crazy. Um, but the interesting thing, uh, there's lots of obviously lots of interesting conversations happening in the paddock, and it was great to chat to everyone. Alessio um, um, at AK Esports, AK Informatica, um, speaking to him a lot, speaking to Aris, speaking to the guys at Kunos. It was really, really um, absolutely fascinating. I was in my element. But I had a really interesting conversation with um, Sam, who is the CEO and founder of Into the Breach Esports. Now, most of our listeners, I would hazard a guess, haven't heard of Into the Breach Esports, but they have just qualified for the Paris Majors at, for CSGO, oh. right? So that is enormous, yeah. right? So they are top level tier mm. one CSGO. So now we're talking millions and millions in prize money. We're talking millions of people actually watching hundreds of thousands of people on the stream, right? That's where they operate. They make a huge amount of money just from selling skins like gun skins essentially on CSGO. So these guys are a big deal. Mm. And here they were in Monza in a sim racing tournament. And it was the first time that they'd done it. So we had a really interesting chat um, about why that traditional esports, which is a 
a weird combination of words anyway, <laughs> were there doing sim racing. What was what was the appeal? Mm. Um, and we were kind of going back and forth. And one of the things that we discussed was how sim racing is essentially two worlds colliding. It's motorsport and gaming. Mm. And now there's two different approaches to how you manage these events. And one is is kind of like typified by what SRO do, mm. and the other by what ESL Face It are doing. Mm. So SRO is going all in on the motorsport element of that mashing together of gaming and motorsport by putting it in the paddock. So during the race weekend, the esports. So if you look at the schedule all around the paddock, where all there were the big posters of what was going on, the esports series was featured on it. The live TV schedule, the esports esports series was on the live TV schedule. So that was one way of doing it. You integrate it into the motorsport world. And so you get all the motorsport fans be like, oh, okay, cool. This is interesting because it's a version of motorsport. Mm-hmm. And then what ESL Face It do is they completely shun the motorsport side of stuff and they put it in the ESL arena in Poland during the CSGO mm-hmm. Dota League of Legends tournaments and have it on one of the stages. And so you're, you're, you're kind of showing it as another type of gaming. So I'm really interested to watch which one is more successful and, you know, I've seen the numbers of, of on streams, etc. ESL, the first round did really, really well. The numbers have, have dropped significantly since then to kind of like two, three hundred. Yeah. So we're talking less than, you know, PSGL and WOR, uh, which is really interesting. In fact, literally 20 minutes after we finish our podcast today, we've got Morris from Rensport, uh, CEO of Rensport on the podcast to chat about this, which would be interesting. Um, but the SRO seems to have, the SRO esports series seems to have quite a, significantly kind of high and consistent number of viewers mm. so josh let's throw this back to you from like an events perspective why do you think one is doing better than the other do you think the physical location matters and there's an expo question there as well about physical mm-hmm. location but we'll go to sro versus esl first yeah definitely i think you're you've nailed it there there's two different types of products kind of being presented um i think you know with the sro product it's obviously very polished and, and very very clean and uh really appealing to that kind of motorsport audience there um I think with the ESL product, it's obviously a little bit more different. And I think just as important though, I think if ESL can get it right with targeting like the the gaming audience rather than the motorsport audience, it should mm. kind of grow. Um, and I think equally, if you were to kind of put both of them, say in a stadium of equal size, see which one sold more tickets. I think for me, that would be what's the interesting metric because I mean, as we all know, viewership for, for sim racing broadcasts can fluctuate quite heavily. You know, I think um, obviously, you know, is it Gran Turismo is going to be in the Olympics for the, the next yeah. series? You know, the viewership there, how much of that is oh, gaming so audience. I'm so excited or, to see what happens you know, with that. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those. I think that the metrics are going to be so indicative. Um, and I think in both cases, they're, they're doing a good example of how events should be run. And I think the experience of having the, the players on site so people can get up, up, up close with them and speak with them. Um, I mean, I'm sure you experienced it at Sim Expo. Like putting faces and personalities to the names is so much better than just here's a league race with so-and-so competing, right? Yeah, 100%. It's, um, I think the nature of um, sim racing versus other esports is that you tend to have a lot more players all at once. Yeah. So, you know, you have a, for a traditional esports event like CSGO or Dota, it's usually like one versus one, as in one team versus mm-hmm. another team. And so you've got a limited number of people that you know, you get used to, you have your team, you learn them. Sim racing, not only do you have a lot more people kind of on the track at once, could be 30, 40, 50. Um, but also the teams seem to be a lot more fluid because mm. there is no structured market yet. Whereas with um, CSGO, Dota, League of Legends, et cetera, there is an established economy for players. So players get bought and sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so when they go into a team, they're there for a long time. And the fact that they've moved there is a big news event. 
And if you follow a team, you know who's coming in and out. Mm -hmm. Now for F1 Esports, I think they're quite close to achieving yeah. that because they do they announce their teams all about the same time. And so you can see as people are moving around, like David Tanitza going to Lamborghini, for example, like, you know, people kind of, you can track it. But for most sim racing esports series, you can't because most series will allow a team to have as many drivers as they want. So every round could be a different driver. And so now your loyalty has to be with the team, yeah. the car, perhaps. So there's, a, you know, in the chat, I was, I was really interested, actually, in the um, the SRO chat during the, the race on Sunday. I noticed that a lot of the comments were supporting the car manufacturers oh. as opposed to the teams or even the yeah, drivers. So people were like, oh, you know, here to, to watch any Merc win or like <laughs> loving to see the Porsche doing well, blah, blah, blah. But they weren't necessarily interested in who was driving, <laughs> which is completely baffling. I've never seen a, a like a, I don't know, a Call of Duty uh, mm tournament where i was like oh i just want an mp5 to do really well this tournament like do you know what? it's like it's completely it's completely the wrong way uh, around but but it's interesting how that's how that's happened no definitely we um i ran an activation back in i want to say it was 2018 2017 maybe it's silverstone for the grand prix and um if you've been to a grand prix before for listeners who haven't there's like a fan zone and within the fan zone there's simulators you can jump on and set lap times um and we ran an activation over the weekend where we had like driver appearances but from the esports team so i think at the time it was like cyber it was renault it was someone else mclaren maybe and what was really interesting there is we had like the drivers come down with the team managers there was an on-stage interview there was an opportunity for fans to kind of drive with them and people who weren't even into esports and sim racing were like checking it out and going oh wow that's part of the mclaren team or that's part of the cyber team um mm. and i think for me that's like speaks back to what makes a good event is when you're able to kind of reach to people who aren't endemic to the space and make it more of an experience and kind of build the driver's profile up from that so then they can also then go to future events and even increase their following even more. So, yeah, well, the, the I mean, the, again, not to hark on about the SRO event too much, but like the way that they did it was fantastic. Mm. They were right in the middle of the paddock. And of course, unlike a Formula One paddock in SRO, anyone can wander around the paddock. So you can walk around the garages, you can walk around all the motor, uh, like, well, the motor homes mm. and the hospitality places, and all the cars are out there on show being worked on. You can see, Pirelli like shaving tires and stuff and you can be in there and experience it um and the Fanatec esports arena was smack bang in the middle of the paddock mm. and so there were all these teams you saw that you know that the red jackets of Ferrari and then the the white and blue of of Williams and you know the BS competition guys and you see them all grouped up with their team merches and you see it and so people were really curious so people that were going there probably to watch the GT3 GT4 GT2 and Clio Cup racing they were probably there for the real world racing, yeah. but it was so huge, this, this huge kind of spectacle in the middle that it was really, and they had sim rigs on the outside that the members of the public could go and drive. When it came to qualifying in the race, there was probably maybe 60 seats inside the arena, mm. which are obviously completely full. There was standing space at the back for maybe another 30 or 40, which was completely rammed. And then it was like two or three deep out on the stage, people trying to look in through the windows to, to watch. And I mean, you know, not to, uh, you know, the, I, I love the Sim Racing Expo. I think the Sim Racing Expo is is fantastic. I think we need to have it. I think we need to have some kind of annual event where everyone in Sim Racing gets together, the manufacturers, the teams, we do racing, we do um, product reveals, etc. cetera. Um, but I don't think there's any getting away from the fact that last year the racing was happening and you'd look out at this, <laughs> this, this huge room that had like yeah. 150 chairs and there'd be like 12 people watching. So there's obviously something wrong, whereas SRO seemed to have got it right. But if you then compare mm. the broadcast quality 
of Sim Racing Expo and SRO is basically the same. It was, I mean, both were broadcast by Mike Yao and Steve Proudly, <laughs> like from SimSport yeah. Solutions. Like it was the same broadcast. Like, obviously, they had different overlays, yeah. and you know, Mike is always improving on his on his craft, and so there was probably minor improvements, but nothing to go from twelve people trying to watch to you know as many people trying to cram into this arena as, as absolutely possible. So it's it's really interesting to try and break down what it is about different events that seem to resonate with people more than others. Because you think at the Sim Racing Expo, you have, you've got a captive audience to watch it, but it wasn't the case. Whereas it, at SRO, actually people who weren't Sim Racers were really interested to watch it. Well, yeah, there's... Sorry, you go, Chris. No, there's, there's something that I think racing fans need to recognize. And I think subconsciously we may, but we may not speak out loud about it. But there are a lot of portions of a race that are just boring. Mm. So let's compare it to like a CSGO or Call of Duty, right? Those matches last a couple minutes and they're over and the new match is starting again and you get that, okay, what's going to happen in the beginning? What happened at the end? You get that uh, burst of energy a lot more often than you would in, say, a, a even we'll go down to 30-minute race. Like you'll probably have 15 minutes of, well, there's not really a lot going on now, so I'm kind of, what else can I do at this point, you know? So in the Sim Racing Expo, mm space uh there were times where there were people sitting at those those seats a lot of the time it was us because we're rooting on our team but you know there was a lot of time where it's like okay well how long can we really watch these cars go go around when there's really nothing going on so uh, i think that's just a problem with racing in general because even there are let's take uh take a couple of the tracks in the f1 calendar where you're like oh great it's gonna be exciting at the start and maybe the end but generally we're just going to be like well hopefully someone snags a barrier or something to make something exciting <laughs> i guess you know and we as as event planners and event organizers probably have to take that into consideration maybe showing the track action quote <laughs> a little bit less and doing more stuff so Let's take one of these live events. Uh, Sim Racing Expo, it would be obviously perfect for because you could walk around and someone could say, okay, let's go to the Fanatec booth, let's go to the Ace Tech booth, let's go to the whatever booth and just continually have content throughout the entire time. But uh, the Track Racer the, booth, just you know, the, the, the Track Racer booth, of course. Other brands thank, are you, thank you for sponsoring uh, uh, the podcast there. Yeah, missed that one. But uh, we need to like f- have filler in some of these races because let's just be honest uh, and call a spade a spade it's there are times where you're watching the cars go around and you're like literally nothing is happening nothing yeah i i think you've hit on something there as well which is the way that you plan an online event or a league is different to how you plan an on-site land event as well you know mm-hmm. um I've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in the f1 esports series in various capacities since 2017 or whenever it started and i remember in 2018 it was one of the years when brendan won his, his championship and I was sat behind stage as an admin and I was watching him just like watching all the drivers as you do. And seeing how he was driving was like just mind blowing for me. He was honestly like a robot. Just as soon as he was hitting his apex, there was like seven or eight different buttons. And it got me thinking like, if you're a fan of, of motorsport and sim racing, I would love for us to have at the expo, like pit garages where people can come in, they can watch the drivers. You know, it's the one advantage we have as a sport is that you don't need to worry about a car running someone over. Um, right. And equally with the Sim Expo, I think had you had the opportunity for the paddock, for the teams to be an actual paddock where people are mm-hmm. able to walk around, there's press interviews, there's this going on. But what you kind of had is yeah. someone who was, and I love the guys at Sim Expo, but I think what they got wrong is that they were kind of to drill down into the audience rather than push the audience like out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the way you approach 
bringing people to sim racing is different to you know how they did it essentially um sure. yeah having having spoken having spoken to danny a couple of times mm -hmm. i think that is now the 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 intention i think okay, that was cool. very obvious i think that the feedback was was loud and clear but i want to put something to you josh something that i've just i was just thinking about when you were talking there uh, about formats for mm. uh racing series tournaments whatever they are should be different online versus lan and and i'm i, I keep going back to csgo because we have a bit of an ethos in the office that we try to learn the lessons from esports not nice. from sim racing yeah. because esports is the size that we want sim racing right. to be so why would you look at something that hasn't quite made it exactly. there to learn your lessons so we we take a lot um you know um nickel and camille uh, and liam in the office are big into traditional esports yeah. and so we kind of get a lot of um a lot of insight from them about how we could do things differently and something i've just <laughs> realized when we're talking about broadcasts is that sim racing broadcasts as they are now generally are like tv broadcasts yeah. so long mm -hmm. hour and a half two hour like, even like you could almost compare them to a film yeah. right whereas a csgo esports event is like tiktok yeah exactly and you and, and it's this and and in the same way that people's attention spans are moving more and more towards the tiktok mm. format than the let's watch a two-hour cowboy film on a sunday afternoon like i think you know sim racing probably needs to see that they're not going to get away with putting on an event which takes an hour you, could, you know at, at, at sro people were physically there mm. okay and you sit down you kind of experience it but you get the benefit as you were saying as I, as I was sat there on one of the seats in the third or fourth row i could look over and i could see the ferrari guys yeah. i could see david tanitza i saw the the williams guy who in the first corner got crashed into or i don't know i can't remember whose fault <laughs> it was but then he got up out of his seat and stormed yeah, out right. of the arena <laughs> like you know we saw that we were right there and so you get those benefits and you, you know people were 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 cheering and applauding overtakes and stuff so there was a bit of, but i don't think you can get away with that for an online mm. event i don't think somebody's going to go to twitch or youtube and watch so but i mean the way all of these games have pretty flexible formats mm. you know f1 is a bit different because it's five like 25 percent, 50 percent. but everything else there's no reason why you couldn't do 10 lap races mm -hmm. there's absolutely no reason why you, you know you could do a sprint you could do heats you could do knockout tournaments there's so many things that we could be doing like the expo you know the expo could do an endurance race yeah. that's six hours but actually could do you know a 20 minute race and then in the interim between the next 20 minute race they show okay this is the update on the endurance race and then another 20 minute race and then cut to an update on the endurance race so you just get the updates on the endurance race but you get to see these little short bursts and each one is like a different it's open wheel or it's or it's touring cars or it's whatever like just show off the best of sim racing and i think those shorter bursts of of competition is, is where we should be kind of perhaps focusing our attention but uh, but i realize you're probably thinking oh christ as an organizer that's that sounds like a nightmare admin, if i right. could just put on an event that starts <laughs> now and finishes at the end of the day perfect well, i can go for lunch yeah. have a drink have a coffee <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think you've, you've hit something there and i think it kind of comes back to what chris was saying which is like for a lot of the time the broadcast is really boring and uh, to be honest the story is true with any online league race regardless of whether it's at the top level or the bottom level yeah. you cross the line you hit the power button you go do about your about your day you know you go to bed or whatever the case is like that's it there's no if you had like 10 five lap sprint races you a LAN event you'd be seeing people get out of their chairs and arguing with each other and all this and that's what the camera should be following you not know, just um you know a case of like okay someone's won great here's a quick interview bye bye um and i think though yeah. what you're saying there about the format we, we've been trialing something really interesting with, with mike and steve which is like 
almost like a soccer Saturday type broadcast format. So there's four or five different mm. races going on. We'll jump between its different commentary teams mm-hmm. and that kind of solves the problem. But I think for me, speaking from an event perspective, I'd much rather like short bursts like CSGO, like rapid fire matches. There's plenty of drama, then you can be clipping it. You can be using it for other content. And then the, the online stuff can be filler in between or leading up to the stories that you're kind of creating. Um, but yeah, the emotions is such an important part that I just don't think we capture well on, on broadcast at the moment. Yeah, I actually Yeah, watch. and that's something that SRO did quite well with the webcams. Exactly. They yeah, had every nice. single booth had a webcam. And not only did they have a webcam, but they also had two cameramen walking around with bigger nice. cameras nice. that were kind of doing scanning shots. So on the bottom right-hand corner, as you were seeing P4 and P5 race, you would see P4's face as they're exactly, driving right? or P5's face. And then, you know, as you get an overtake, you can then get the big shot with the big camera going around and the guys kind of like smiling or just trying to keep focus. So you get that emotion. <laughs> so they would, they would, de- but I mean, again, it comes back to that online versus land. You can't do that easily for an online. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot race. of, that's a lot of collaboration with all the drivers and they're like, mm-hmm. okay, sign into this software so you can have the webcam exactly. view. There is a lot and there's. There's a couple of leagues that uh, have tried that, and it's normally like two or three of the drivers that actually turn on their webcam for for the view. PSGL yeah, do it. and it's yeah. very cool. It mm. it adds a lot to the broadcast, but you know, driver participation in that side because you know some of these guys aren't streamers and they aren't content mm. creators and they don't want to be, and that's perfectly fine as well. You know. See, I, I I don't know. I kind of feel like if you're wanting to be on a platform, a competitive platform, you need to be open. To, like. Because I look at like the smaller leagues and communities, PSGL, for example, you know, there's probably four or five main reasons why their league had a surge in viewership. You know, some of those being controversy, some of those being improvements in quality (laughs) of show. But Mm. if you take out those personalities, it's just like every other league race. Um, And I think, you know, even listening to how Tom was speaking about the guys at Monza, it was like, we're the underdogs. It's that emotion, that passion. I just think it's such an important element at LAN. Yeah, I, I agree with you, I guess, to a certain extent online, you can't really replicate that. But that's where the ecosystem needs to kind of work together of like people come to a land event we capture the content we push that back to you guys online to use then there's more drama unfolds all this kind of stuff it's um but the other part of it i was going to ask and then kind of reference is that obviously the kind of option of choice as well is is also really really big it's really saturated in the sim racing if you're watching it like is. say one of the teams williams for example you could probably find four or five of their drivers also doing their own personal streams so you've got no incentive to support the main feed and we see this with like with jimmy i guess he probably pulls more viewership than most leagues do yep. um and it's how do you manage that in a online environment because at lan you can just sit and watch him in his rig you don't have to worry about checking his twitch stream or whatever like you have to see jimmy in front of you you know that actually makes a really good point yeah. because, uh, you know, I mentioned sim racing community and like Jim yeah. Broadbent has a community. He has followers. He has people that support not only sim racing, but him in general. And the, yeah. if he's in a race, they're always going to go to their community and hang out with mm-hmm. their people, if you will. So it does make sense that uh, a lot of these broadcasts are not really viewed as as much as they, I, I guess I would say should be just because yeah. you get a kind of an alternate view. But that's that kind of goes along with the whole content creator and um, just landscape that we're in now. You almost find your your group by finding someone on Twitch or YouTube or wherever yeah. they happen to be streaming, and you kind of 
gravitate towards just that stream. Um, I'm guilty of it as well. So I watch Call of Duty a lot during the day and I always watch the same exact people. I never like journey outside, even though I know the people they play with or, mm. or race against if I'm watching racing, but I never switch to the other side of the pond, if you will. I never go to that other stream. And uh, that's something that like we'll have to, as event organizers, we're gonna have to figure out how to pull them on over to watch like the official streams or or it would be nice if there was a platform that could support it like when twitch was trying to do their squad streams where you could watch multiples yeah. and switch between all of them at different times but no one's really perfected that quite yet i i think yeah what i'd say is, you know we found some as sim staff you know some really really good broadcasting freelance talent from from Gridfinder, to be honest and part of me is like great these guys are incredible but the other part of me kind of feels bad for them in a way because like like you said, you know, everyone goes and watches the, the drivers competing and that's great for their personal brands. Let's not take away from that. But these are really, really good talent who, if it was a land venue, would probably be feeling, you know, building up quite a big following. And you look at Call of Duty, sure. some of the hosts are like massive personalities. It's unreal, like the following mm. they can build. And it's, I guess, like Tom said at the start, it's such an ecosystem that it needs to piece together. And I don't quite think we're there yet. It's um, one of the other issues that we have, I think. And you, you touched on it earlier, Josh, is about, you know, personalities and emotions mm. in sim racing. And that's something that we discussed on the podcast before is a problem Like sim racers. It's sometimes tough to get much emotion out of them <laughs> or, or get much character from them yeah. for the well, story. The, ra- the race required, can be boring right? for the driver Chris, too. Like you're just yeah. like, okay. Yeah. But I mean, even, <sighs> I mean, even in terms of like social media presence yeah. or like the interviews afterwards, it, it can be like a little dry. And Chris, you made a point earlier and you said, you know, like some drivers just want to drive and that should be mm-hmm. fine. I, I, I would actually disagree because if you compare it directly to real world motorsport, those drivers have to have sponsor appeal. So if they're going to make it into motorsport, they have to not only be fast, but they also have to give off the right kind of impression, the right brand. This reminds me of put uh, their label on Ford so, versus Ferrari, where they didn't want him to drive because he's like, not good yeah. for the brand. That's <laughs> right. all I'm picturing in my head. Well, I mean... <laughs> It's so true. And I think if sim racing is going where we all hope it's going, then drivers who want to make it are going to have to start building personal brand and be sponsorable. Yeah. If they want Fanatec or Assetec mm. or Track Race or whoever to put the label on them, they're not going to want to put their label on someone who is just, yes, I had a good race. I, uh, I could have done better. Now I'm picturing Talladega. Like, do you know, know what I mean? I like, it's I a little bit like that. <laughs> I don't know, but I think you're right. Tom, and that, that doesn't need to be fabricated, right? Like that can be something as simple as we get them in the rig, the LAN event, they have a great race, a really bad race. And the moment they get out, we put them into like a press pen, you know, and it's just capturing that emotion because then they're not thinking about how they're being presented. Um, and they can just naturally talk to the press and over time it will evolve. And the, the esports teams have done a really, really good job of this, to be fair, mm-hmm. helping to educate and inform yeah. the drivers. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really interesting point that you make there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and, and as much as like, you know, what, what I was saying earlier that we should, we're trying to learn from esports, not necessarily sim racing, we can learn a little bit from motorsports here. Because if you look at probably the two most popular Formula One uh, drivers with the younger generation, so I'm discounting kind of, you know, Alonso, and I'm talking Daniel Ricciardo mm-hmm. and Lando Norris, right? So neither of them have broken any records for number of races won or championships or anything like this. Like They're, they're, they're kind of their stats as drivers, I think it's fair to say, are fairly kind of average. But they are 
so attractive to Formula One teams because they are so mm-hmm. brandable because they have this personality. Like Lando has his streaming, he has his kind of like stand base, mm-hmm. if you like. Daniel Ricardo is just just, just so full of character. <laughs> like, but you know, he he did he did pretty well at, at Red yeah. Bull. Nothing, you, you know, and he has. Uh, you, you remember his wins because you remember that he dived into the pool exactly, at Monaco. Yeah. Not okay. because he won so many races and it was particularly good. Like he was, you know, he was he was hanging on at the end. Blah blah blah. So, but you only know that story because he's somebody whose story you care about mm. because he comes across as a likable person. Sure. Um, and, and so, I, I think you know, sim races. You know, I've kind of turned this a little bit now. I, I don't really like against sim races, but I do think that if you want to be a professional esports sim racer, you have to, you do have to accept that you're going to have to build a bit of a a brand. There's only so many people who can get away with the Kimi Raikkonen right. Ice Man. If you have everyone doing that, it's, it's boring. boring. Right? And that's basically what we have now. We have we have like 24 Ice Men, which <laughs> doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, it, it's it's really interesting. I think the other part of that is that it doesn't need to be just in a competitive environment. You know, a lot of people think sim racing events are mm. ESL, F1 esports, all those kind of stuff, but there's so many activations throughout the year that get run when I, you know when you see a sim rig and like even just then the opportunity for someone to jump in a rig for the first time chat to someone from insert team here and go actually i kind of enjoyed that oh this person knows what they're talking about that's enough to kind of convert someone to follow um yeah and for me again is like why it's so so important that we've just got these events because when people aren't expecting them it, it, it's really really cool you know they're not having to see what's on on a tuesday night at 7 p.m it's like yeah i'm going to the shopping center there's a sim rig i'll try it out you know so, Josh, I think we've probably fixed sim racing. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks for that. But let's let's go back to uh, to sim sure. stuff um, a little bit and talk about what's in the pipeline, what's happening. Like, tell us a little bit about your vision for for sim stuff, where you want to take it, how much you want it to grow. Like the, the team, are you hiring? Like, give us the story of what's happening next for sim stuff. Yeah, so it probably sounds a bit converse to everyone we've discussed, right? But you know, the reality is sim racing is still growing massively. It's doing really, really well. Um, and so for us as a business, really, we have kind of two key staffing elements that we service. The first one is that if you are someone who already owns a sim rig or you're a company that owns sim rigs, you know, we provide the staffing to service and maintain those. So we're working with some really cool venues and facilities and, and kind of scheduling some more in the future. Um, but the other part of it is like this live event site. So if you're someone like, I don't know, Track Racer, Ace Attack, Fan Attack, you know, at the moment, a lot of sim racing manufacturers are still quite small in terms of, you know, number of people. So if they want to go to Sim Expo or they want to go to Insomnia, like they're losing sometimes, you know, 25% to 30% of their workforce. And we can kind of come in and fill that gap by having people who know Sim Racing from ground zero. So it's the perfect reflection of their brand. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that as we see Sim Racing growing and, and people kind of exploring and testing new things, and that comes also twofold from, you know, the trust in people like yourselves and kind of guiding them. For us, you know, the, the growth is immense and we're really seeing some positive trends, not only in the UK and Europe, but also north america and, and asia as well and and what are the kind of the headline events that you'd that you'd like i mean you mentioned earlier the olympics like did did you put a bit in the, <laughs> the olympics i mean like, like how like how big it what you know what are kind of the the where, where what are the targets like... <laughs> to give like our listeners an idea of like what it what does success look like for sim stuff yeah for sure i think you know there's some really cool players in the space um obviously ak being one of the ones that we've mentioned to before and i i think what's nice about sim staff is we're not set out to try and run the world's best events we're there to provide the staff to help those companies do so so you know for me the target is people like formula one formula e esl um and you know some of those are already having really positive you know growth towards other ones it's going to take a bit more time but 
you know, equally, a, a large volume of our events are kind of day-to-day -day activations for, for teams and their sponsors and partners. So if we can keep that growing, I think it all just has that snowball effect and gives us that kind of um, reputation to be trusted, really, which is quite important for me. And what about if we've got um, listeners who are into broadcasting or commentating um, or, or generally just have been, you know, adjusting and setting up their own rig for the last five years and become a bit of an expert on, you know, aluminium profile, um, you know, are the, what, what, what are the sort of roles that you're looking for? Yeah, for sure. So our main focus are our event technicians and managers. So what that really means is that the, the managers are the people on site who, when you go to a stand, you're kind of engaging with them. They're overseeing what's happening throughout the day. You know, really the main source of knowledge if there's a problem that gets escalated. Um, our event technicians, though, is like our highest volume of staff. And this could be anything from running the Sims at an event to you know, doing a customer's updates at their house versus, you know, running a venue. Um, and really that's the big thing is like networking because there's so, kind uh, of come back to what I was saying before, like the space is so small at the moment that it's really hard to find good quality candidates and, mm -hmm. and people have now started to trust Sims staff to do that. But I need to grow my network of, of candidates as well, right? So if anyone is interested, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's hugely important. And I think it comes back to Tom, what we said before, like, there is a world in which, you know, people are running leagues and if they want to then start running LAN events for their league, that they can do that in that ecosystem by working with people like us. I feel like we probably need to start, uh, restart our conversations about that little collaboration uh, between GridFinder and uh, and SimStuff at some point. It sounds, it sounds really exciting. It sounds really, um, it, you know, it it's exciting that there is a requirement for businesses like yours mm. now because that is a really positive signal for the rest of uh, the rest oh, of sim yeah. racing. Um, Josh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been a really, really cool chat. It's been nice to to hear about your 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 journey. <laughs> I keep saying, and I hear it back. What I'm was like, it Ugh. organic journey um, I don't or know something? How to say. Your story, your organic. I'm adding journey. a super networker yeah, to the CV just, on LinkedIn. So just right. this, this, this as by Sim Sunday. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed, man. I've changed. I hate myself. Um, Josh, where can people find you slash SimStuff if they wanted to know more? Yeah, I mean, like every good company, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, just search for SimStuff. You'll find the company there and you'll find me mostly there as well. Um, if not, from the sounds of things at most events, I'll kind of be there, uh, probably bumping into Tom as well. So yeah, that's yeah, probably the best way to do it. Great. Very cool. Okay. Well, thank you very thank much. You guys it's been great it. to yeah, chat. Thanks. And uh, we'll see you again. <laughs>